Thank you for listening to Freelance Kills. This podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only. Nothing I say should be considered financial or investment advice. Please contact a registered and licensed investment advisor or tax professional for any advice on your own personal situation. This is the Freelance Kills Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bridges. A little over a decade ago, I started a career on Wall Street. I quickly realized that it wasn't the path for me. I'm currently a fashion and lifestyle photographer based in New York City. From ramen noodle diets to educating over 80,000 students on Skillshare, students have listened to over four and a half million minutes of my classes ranging from photography to finance. Freelance Kills is your resource for money, career, and personal wellness. Thanks for listening. Sorry, usually like to get these things out in the morning, but I am actually recording today on the spot. Uh, the funny thing is today I have recorded um, a secret project that I'm working on for Skillshare. That was two hours long. I have recorded a voiceover for another secret thing. <laughs> and uh, that is uh, that, you know, didn't take that long, but I've done a lot of recording today and I just thought to myself, man, I don't know if I'm going to do this podcast. Usually I like to do it in advance. And today I'm kind of doing it on the spot, but luckily I'm going to use a little bit of life experience to sort of echo where I'd like to go in the podcast today. So without further ado, I want to talk about something that happened in my childhood and let's work in reverse. A lot of things happened recently with the George Floyd stuff, civil unrest. I mean, even as, as recent as last night, the, the debates, a lot of things are going on. And those of you who know me know that I occasionally say some things, especially politically leaning on my Instagram account, Freelance Kills. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I guess now it's a couple months ago during the George Floyd uprising, if you will, I had brought up something about uh, what had happened in my childhood. I basically had told the story. I think I was writing it or maybe I put it in my uh, Race in America series, but I talked about the story where I got called the N-word on the playground. A little bit later, a friend of mine that I grew up with from back in Georgia DMs me and he, you know, looking to reconnect. And of course, I don't often hear from friends from my past. So I was like, yeah, dude, what's up? How's it been, man? It's been forever. And we finally made time to hop on the phone. This was last week that we finally got on the, the phone. And I was a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I haven't talked to this friend in 15, maybe 18 years. I mean, almost two decades have passed. Maybe it's not 18 years. Well, whatever. Almost two decades have passed. My birthday is tomorrow. So I will be turning 35. And I probably haven't seen this friend since, I guess, maybe prior to high school or around the high school age. Uh, So it's a long time. 
to not have caught up, to talk, to have exchange ideas, friendliness, anything. And so I was kind of nervous because that means we're both probably different people at this point in our lives. I know I've had several iterations of who I am from middle school to high school, from high school to college, from my first couple years in New York to my next couple years in New York to becoming an independent photographer and working for myself. I just had so many different life changes that I, I don't know, I guess I was nervous. Is he going to recognize this person? Is he going to accept me if I, when I pick up the phone, you know, just what is this going to be like the unknowns of reconnecting with somebody, but we hopped on the phone and it was a great conversation. And, you know, without going too deep into what we discussed, the basis for why I'm bringing this up is at the end of the conversation, he brought up the reason or he sort of replayed this, the, the story of why he wanted to connect. And that was because of the serendipitous nature in which he even came to find me on Instagram again. And that was that we had a mutual friend or, or mutual uh, acquaintance in, in high school that he was still friends with. He had gone to his wedding. And at that wedding, my one of my best friends from Georgia was there. And they ended up talking about me for, you know, probably a split second or whatever. And he followed me on Instagram that date, but hadn't looked at any of my posts. And then a couple weeks later, when all this racial stuff was going on and he was forced into some of his memories from childhood, that same memory of the story that I told about being called the N word on the playground resurfaced for him as well. And he ended up, you know, telling the story to, I think maybe coworkers or some um, friends or whatever it was, but he was using it as an example for, you know, how it was growing up in Georgia and how race has affected him uh, his whole life. But what he brought up when he was telling me that story was something that I completely missed. Like I completely didn't remember a lot of the story, a lot of the story. And there's not much of the story, but like 50% of, of it was that I missed the whole point that he was there with me. <laughs> so my point being that we, we both experienced this event. I'll recount the story. Justin and friend that I won't name, let's call him, uh, Justin and Brian are on the playground and me and Brian are playing kickball, running around, uh, probably being pretty damn good at it. You know, whatever it is, uh, it's a sport and we're black. So we are running around playing kickball, destroying people out there and, or maybe we're playing red Rover. It honestly doesn't matter, but we're playing on the playground at this point in time in my childhood, this is elementary school. So we're going to a predominantly white school and this girl calls us the N word. And I don't remember if it was because she was frustrated or angry or just got taught the wrong things from her parents, but she used the N word and she directed it at both of us. And I remember the way I told my friend, uh, my recounting of the story, I just remember being so angry and, you know, I had a, I had a pretty bad temper as a, as a child, but I remember being so angry and so frustrated. It just sort of, I don't know, bl- it, it blotted out everything else I remembered about the story, but I swallowed it and moved on. And that's where the story ended in my head that I just got called the N word. It was a pivotal time for me and that's it for him. 
not only was he there in our story, because he was, but also he remembered going up, we, us taking this story to a teacher. We took it to the teacher almost immediately. Um, I guess we're snitches, but we took it to the teacher immediately and she brought over the girl. The girl denied saying anything. And then just like that, poof, it was, it was done. She was like, I need you guys to get along, get out there and keep playing. That was pretty much it. And when he reminded me of this, he reminded me of how hard it is to deal with race in general. But more importantly, he reminded me of how difficult it can be to unlearn, unwind, unpack some of the things that we're given, or I don't know what the right way to say this, but I guess rewrite your own story even though you have this solid foundation of things that have been built brick by brick to make you who you are as an adult. One of the things I took away from the story was that because somebody called me the N-word, so I was dealt an injustice, if you will, and when I went to go rectify that injustice, no justice was served. I mean, this is strictly or, or straight up the analogy for probably how most black people, even though we're not a monolith, but how most black people feel when put in situations where race comes up, we can complain, we can scream uh, on top of the mountain and nobody will fix the issue. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. But this idea that what happens when an injustice happens to you or a problem comes up and there's nobody there to fix it, even though you're in the right. Somebody called me the N-word. I did the right thing. I went and got help. The help was inadequate. It didn't even acknowledge that there was a slight or damage being done. It just said, I don't know who's telling the truth. Goodbye. Get out of my face. Keep playing. Be friends. So at an early age, I learned quite instinctually, why should I raise my hand and bring up these problems? Why? You know, what's the point? If it's not going to get fixed, then I should just deal with the problems myself. And that had a follow on effect where I keep thinking to myself, man, there's so many things that I have dealt with in my, my life where I've just sort of either compartmentalized them and moved on to the next thing, the next battle and never brought up the issue. Because if I could deal with it, then why, why face the chance that I could fail again at rectifying the problem? I can handle shit on my own. That's sort of, that's sort of the mentality I've had my entire life. I can handle stuff on my own. And I bring that to relationships. I bring that to work. I bring that to friendships. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure I bring that attitude everywhere. I can only count on me. So I'll just take care of myself. And I know it's the reason I'm bringing this topic up today. I know that there are so many of you out there, especially in your careers. Maybe not so much money, but especially in your careers and your relationships, your personal wellness practices, where you're thinking, I'm going to take care of this myself. And I'm sort of walking through this a little aimlessly because I knew I wanted to bring up this topic. I wanted to sort of touch, touch it and, um, you know, bring it into the consciousness, but I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to wrap it. Like, how do I want this to be something where I give you permission? to raise your hand and ask for help? How can I give you permission to say, 
this isn't okay. And just because there's not an immediate fix doesn't mean I'm going to give up on the issue. So I guess I just figured out how I want to talk about it. So let's start with this. Tip one, when faced with injustice or an adversity, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't get rid of it. Don't hide it. Don't bury it down. You know, sit with it for a second because you want to be able to evaluate what are the next best steps. But after you evaluate and consider what are your options, actually pick one of those options and do it. What does that actually look like in practice? Let's just say I have a photography client and word on the street is they weren't happy with the last shoot. But I know to the best of my ability, I performed at the highest level. I was professional. I made sure I raised my hand and asked questions. But it look, it's starting to sound like from all the intel that I'm gathering that somebody's trying to cover their own behind because you know, there's a bunch of things that didn't get shot or the style of lighting that they put in their brief, but then they changed their mind on after the fact is causing them headaches at their job. And I'm just a freelancer that came in and executed the project as they requested. And now there's complaints. Okay. A, I'm going to evaluate my options. Do I have the conversation with the person that I interface with? Do I send an email to the entire group of people that I work with at the company? Do I decide this client isn't worth the trouble and move on? I mean, there are probably a couple of different options. Do I try to get a face-to-face meeting? Do I try to get a Zoom call? I guess that'd be the option nowadays and really hash through it one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three or whatever it may be. Do I offer to help reshoot even though it's not my fault because I want to be that value add and I want to make sure the client, no matter what happens, feels good about the outcome of that shoot. But that's sort of what I'm talking about when I'm saying evaluate the options. Think through what is it that I can do in order to make sure that both sides can leave with a smile on their face. So that's that's point one. Point two, decide on the option, execute it, and then realize that you're not in control. And I'm not even going to use the photography example. Let's go to back to my childhood. Somebody called me the N-word. At best, what I'm thinking I can get out of this is an apology, a heartfelt apology. So I evaluate my options. I, I think to myself, I could take it up with this girl, but maybe that turns into a playground altercation. I could take it to the teacher and maybe I get an apology and the girl never messes with us again. Or I could go to home, tell my parents about what happened, and then they can figure out what's the best way to deal with it. And just so happens, we already know what decision we made. We took it to the teacher immediately. At that point, I've made a decision. I made the best decision for myself in the moment at that time. And the reality is, at that point, no matter what the outcome is for that option, I have to realize my control is relinquished. I am now putting this in the hands of somebody else because I've taken the ball up the court. I've, I've, I've walked as far with this baton as I could and now I handed it off and I'm hoping that this person can right a wrong. And I have to be okay with the fact that this person might fail in providing me that justice or that peace of mind. And obviously as a caveat to part two, there are going to be some cases where I can actually try all of the options on the table. I might just start with, 
Let me go talk to this this girl. And I'm using, by the way, I know the politically correct is woman. This was a girl at the time. I think we couldn't have been older than eight or nine. So this girl, I could have taken it to her and said, that's not nice or whatever I sounded like back in the day. That's not nice. Like you shouldn't call people that. I want an apology, whatever, and try to sort it out right there and then. And if that didn't work, then step two could have been, okay, now I'm going to take it to the teacher. And now if the teacher couldn't figure out whose story is correct and figure out how to, you know, negotiate that problem in an effective manner, then I could then turn around and go to step three, which is talk to the parents and see how they might be able to help me or make me feel better about what happened. So sometimes you're going to be faced with options where there's one option to pick or there's one option you can pick because after that, you're not going to have a second go at it. And then there are other times where you're going to have a whole host of options in which you can try all of them and see what fits the scenario. And if one doesn't work, try the second. If the second doesn't work, try the third. So that's number two. So just a recount. Number one is identify the issue, think through the options. Number two is decide on the option and execute it. And number three, which is related to number two in the sense that in number two, we talked about you have the control of deciding the option and then you relinquish the control once you seek out your justice. And number three, we want to take that control back because no matter what happens, whether we succeed at one of those options or not, there's a big chance that no matter what happens, we're still going to feel slighted. We're still going to feel a little frustrated or a little upset. Like we're not completely satisfied by whatever the outcome is. So taking control back in number three is about learning and adjusting. Let's look at this from the standpoint of failure. Taking the same example of the photography client that's unhappy with some work. I can go into that meeting or go into that email, get a response. It's like, whatever, it's still your fault, whatever. Maybe I've lost this client. Maybe I haven't. Maybe it's just a going to be a stressful relationship going forward. Who knows? But how do I take the control back? Well, I think the first thing, at least in my head, the first thing that pops to mind is that regardless if I keep this client or not, what can I take away from this interaction? Maybe all of our conversations were done uh, through voice or some sort of, um, you know, face to face conversation. So I don't have a written document other than the contract that states what deliverables I have to, you know, turn in or whatever and how much they are going to pay me. Maybe I don't have some of the more fine tuned details. Like this is the exact lighting we're going for. This is, these are the exact shot lists that you need to follow. Maybe I didn't have all that in writing because they brought that as the client to set. So there's some ambiguity about ownership of that responsibility. Well, maybe in the future with my clients, I'll start getting everything in writing. You give me a content brief or a creative brief, and we both sign it, and we both agree. I'm not saying you have to do this. I know in creative services, some things can be a bit of a pain, and people like to keep it loose and casual. So I'm not saying you have to do that. But what are these types of learnings that you could take away for challenging clients? Maybe getting everything in writing is a smart way forward, or recording the conversations, or whatever it may be. Because it's not necessarily about being right and keeping the client. Sometimes it's about keeping your sanity and making sure that you can walk away with your your head held up high, representing that you know the truth and can prove the truth. And that's an important thing too. What's another option? You know what the true form of control is? Firing the client. 
okay, you didn't like the work and then you try to blame it on me, even though I did exactly what you asked for. That's not necessarily the type of client I want to work with. And I don't think that's the kind of client most people want to work with. Now, do these things happen from time to time? Yeah, of course. But what's the easiest way to not have to have that stress and frustration going forward? Get rid of the client because you can build a better roster of high quality clients that understand and get it and will treat you fairly. So that's an option too. And that is true control. So those are two options for taking the control back. Now that you have the three steps, you've had some examples, you have my little short story from childhood. Let's pull out a little bit because I just want to talk for a second about how this affects the personal wellness routine or I mean, I guess at least how you should look at your own personal wellness. And I want to look at this through the lens of control because that's been sort of thematic in this conversation. I've been in so many different groups or, you know, situations where a lot of people talk about the loss of control and I suffer from that too. I love control. But one of the things I've had to do to keep my sanity is to realize there are really two buckets or maybe it's like a Venn diagram. Where on the left, there are things I can control. On the right, there are things I can't control. And in the middle, there's some things I can affect, but I will never have total control over. And I've had to build that sort of Venn diagram in my head because when you attribute control over things you have zero control over, man, can it shock the system when you realize ultimately that you had pegged that wrong, you had no clue. You are completely on the wrong side of the Venn diagram. It is shocking. It is disappointing. It can be overly emotional. And that's not to say don't feel your feelings. I'm just saying when you have a good sight picture on what what things you have control and what things you don't have control on, you have less surprises, less surprises to the downside at least. So when it comes to photography, I know that I'm in control of my skill set, my talent the level of creativity I can offer. I'm in control with the setting that we pick, the conversation around different factors that go into each project up until the point that the, the, the client takes control, obviously. But I know that going in, I have a good foundation and most things, most challenges or obstacles that arise, I can knock them down. What I can't control on that same project is whether or not the model is going to be sick or late. I can't control whether the client's going to change their mind last minute. I can't control whether or not the weather is going to be nice on a shoot day that's outside requiring natural light. But shifting this conversation back to the other side of the Venn diagram, I can try to have a plan B for if some of these things go wrong and mitigate those things, meaning I can force things that I can't control in some ways to the middle of the Venn diagram. I think the broader takeaway here is the things you can control shouldn't surprise you. So keep your eye on the ball there, stay focused, and those things will always be sort of constants in your life. The things that you just outright can't control, relinquish that need to try to control them. They're always going to be a variable in your life. But to some extent, if you can move some of those things to the middle of the Venn diagram, meaning I don't have full control but I can mitigate some of the risk involved by having a plan B or trying to use some of the things that I have in my toolkit or my skill set or my talent set. Use some of those things to help mitigate how surprising some outcomes could be. 
then use them. Use them to your advantage. But I think, you know, the reason I told this story was a lot of times in life we're going to be hit with things that just come out of nowhere that hurt, that are painful, and we're just going to have to pick up and move on. And the emotional toll that those things can have on you, the residual that can be left on you is really a pain in the butt. I just wanted to spend some time giving you some tools and tips on how to get the things that we can exert control, can get a little bit of control. How do we sharpen our focus on those? And then how do we look at things that we don't have any control over and, and learn how to woosah a little bit? Let go. Prepare, but don't be so shocked or surprised when something doesn't go as planned and just roll with the punches. All right, so rounding this out, the TLDR of this conversation is one, when faced with a problem, evaluate it, take a step back, take a deep breath, chill for a second, think through the options, and then move on to step two. Pick an option or pick a sequence of options so you can follow up and see if you can find some satisfaction for the issue at hand. And number three, if you don't get any closure on the issue, learn to let go and move on, taking the learnings and the growth that you can take away from this problem and applying it into new situations. And for the time being with this issue, let go, meditate, get some headspace, go out for a walk, breathe deeply, whatever it is, but move on, move on with learning and more expertise and experience so that you can try to avoid these things going forward. That is sort of the way that I face adversity, and I think it's a good starting point for how you build your routine or your practice around dealing with adversity, whether it be on the job or in your personal life. Before I go, I know it probably gets annoying to hear, but I got to say it because I don't know, I watch a bunch of other YouTubers and podcasters do the same exact thing. So I'm going to just imitate things that seem to work. If you're getting value from the show, please make sure to subscribe. If you have an extra minute or two, go on iTunes, go whatever platform that you're listening, write a review, leave a rating, all that good stuff. If there's somebody in your life, a colleague, a friend, a family member that you feel could get value from the show as well, please just share it with one person. Not a hard ask. You just hit the little dots at the top right corner or the little up arrow thing and share this episode or the podcast in general with a friend or family member, or whatever, through text or share it on social media. Do whatever feels right, feels uh, good. And lastly, it's hard to fit all this stuff in a busy day. It's hard uh, to do all the things that we all do. But because I'm doing this for free, hoping that it'll benefit you and reap you much, much money and success, if you have a moment, and $5 or even $20 or whatever you feel comfortable leaving, please contribute and uh, to the show. I, you know, I pay to, to make this podcast with my time, my effort, and actually I spend money on the equipment and the hosting and all this other stuff. So anyway, my point is, uh, if you're feeling generous, you know, donate a couple bucks uh, to the podcast monthly, that always helps. And lastly, last housekeeping thing, I'm coaching. And I don't really talk about it a lot, but I'm offering coaching. So if you are a photographer and want to learn more about the business or have questions you need answered about technique or the business itself, I'm happy to coach. Uh, if you just have questions about finance or career in general, I'm happy 
to help you navigate uh, this challenging career. Um, I mean, any challenging career, whatever. But I'm, I'm happy to help you uh, work through your issues, your problems, and see through to the other side and collaborate. So if you want to learn about coaching, head over to freelancekills.com slash coaching and uh, check it out. Anyway, have a great rest of your week and I look forward to checking in with you next week. See you.